Audience, thank you so much for tuning into the 3D Prince Authority podcast. This is where we come together to have a transparent and no BS conversation about the world of 3D printing and technology. Uh, joining me today is Sergey. Um, you are the, I'm going to say, founder, inventor of Iro3D. And I was super excited to connect with you because you have such a unique take on metal 3D printing that I don't see anybody else doing. Um, and so I think there's a lot that I can learn and that a lot that the audience can learn from kind of your experience. Um, could you go ahead and kick things off just to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure, uh, my name is Sergey Singov. I'm an inventor of the ira 3 d selective powder deposition 3D printing method. Awesome, thank you. And um, the company's Iro 3D selective powder deposition. Um, when no, did you first get Forger 3D? I'm sorry. Company's, company is Forger 3D. But Forger most of 3D. the things Forger 3D. Most of the things are on the Iro 3D website. Forger 3D has like pretty much nothing on the website. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. So that explains my confusion. So there's a couple different names and websites. You know what? Let's just call it Iro 3D. That's fine. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, when did you first get started on, uh, on this project and this 3d printing method? Well, um, at first, like a while ago, I saw a plastic 3d printer in a makerspace. Okay. I think it was uh, Darwin one or something. Uh, and it wasn't very good. Uh, so it was like printing. Uh, with a very thick nozzle, it's like 0.8 millimeter, maybe even like one millimeter. Okay. And the layer didn't uh, adhere to each other. So it looks like a bunch of uh, like spaghetti, which didn't stick to each other well and say, well, we need to tune it, but usually it's better. Um, and uh, they had like big problem with overhangs. Well, because of the technology was not as well tuned as it is today. Sure. But uh, I started to think, how can I improve this uh, adhesion? So I had this idea of uh, having like a rotating bed. So the nozzle would always spring, print vertically without having to have any overhangs. Okay. So that was like the first idea didn't quite uh, uh, went there. But in 2015, I was laid off work. Okay. And I was thinking, now what I'm going to do next? Uh, and I thought, hmm. I have this idea. <laughs> Why don't I like start working it? And actually, the first idea didn't work, uh, but then I had another one. So finally, I got to this one. So this one seems to be working. <laughs> it's still it's still very far from being uh, done. Okay. I think we are like barely scratched the, the surface. There will be uh, a lot more uh, improvements, not just by me, but uh, like by other people and not just in this technology like in any technology uh, related to 3d printing i think we'll have uh, lots of uh, maybe new technologies so it's like 3d printing as a technology is very young like if you compare it to like math or physics it's just like newborn definitely so in 20 in 2015 um what were you doing um, kind of what was your background before you decided to, to try to pursue this idea? I was a software engineer. Okay. I was writing programs for Android. Okay. 
Very cool. But I did like um, to tinker with the mechanics and electronics uh, for quite a while. So I knew a good deal about mechanics and electronics. And after I started, after I had this idea, I also started to learn chemistry. Okay. So now I know like some bit of uh, chemistry and metallurgy. Yeah, that was my my first thought is I'm usually so jealous of programmers because that's just a skill set that I don't have um, as a mechanical engineer. But then to actually make a 3D printer, especially a metal printer, you need to know a little bit of a lot of different areas. Yes, but when you say like you don't know programming, for example, like I didn't know chemistry, I didn't know metallurgy, I knew nothing about metallurgy. Okay. So the benefit of living in a modern world is that you can learn pretty much anything for free. Okay. When people say like, oh, education is so expensive. No, the paper, piece of paper <laughs> is expensive. Education is free. You mm -hmm. can get it online. Is that what you what you did? Did you just like go to YouTube and start looking for things? Uh, I started with Khan Academy. Okay. So I took a chemistry course, course on Khan Academy. Then I took uh, two chemistry courses from Coursera. Okay. And then I took another course. Uh, well, I took half of it uh, on YouTube from uh, MIT. Okay. It was a very good course, but... I didn't quite finish it. Uh, by that time, I already had the technology. Had the technology, mostly working. Sure. So, what what was your first steps? I'm I'm trying to think back. 2015 was such also a young time in 3D printing. People were excited about it, but like the Ender threes and the Prusas, those weren't really out there to kind of form a foundation for people. Well, Prusa was out there. Okay. Rosa was out even in 2014. Okay. So I bought the first 3D printer I bought was a, a Prusa clone. Okay. It wasn't very good, but it was kind of working. Gotcha. So um, what was the first step? You know, it's very hard to say because it's not just one step. It's like lots of lots of incremental steps until you get something. And you know, even like this something, like when I printed the first metal part, it, it looked like nothing what I what, what <laughs> today. It was like, oh, this tiny thing is 3D printed. They say, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, and even what we have like right now, uh, it's still not, uh, not quite there yet. Okay. So, well, not quite there for, for for, for most people, like for most markets, it's still not quite there. You can still print something like cool looking uh, and so on, on my channel, but um, there is still still a good amount of work we need to do. Okay. Um, so for people that aren't familiar, can you kind of just walk us through how your process works? So mm -hmm. say we start with a 3D file. What's the first step that we're going to take? Well, uh, you start a 3D file. Uh, you start with a 3D file and the 3D printer. The model G is behind me. Okay. Uh, I have two model Cs in the other room. Uh, you put it in the uh, slicer. Okay. Slicer slices it, converts it, converts, converts it to the G code. Okay. Uh, and uh, sends it to the printer. But before you like can uh, something to before you can print something with the printer, 
you need to put the powders. So there are powder okay. containers. So you need to put sand and metal. So basically, you need to have two uh, types of powders. Okay. Support powder and build powder. So you deposit uh, build and support powder selectively okay. in the crucible. So you fill the crucible all the way to the top. Uh, so there is like no empty space, but some of the volume is filled with build powder. Some of the volume is filled with support powder. Okay. And the build powder should be exposed to the top generally. Okay. Then you place an, a piece of infill metal on top and bake it in a kiln. Okay. Infill metal melts and soaks the metal powder. Okay. It doesn't soak the sand because sand is not wettable by the molten infill metal. Okay. So that's it in a nutshell. There are many process variants. Like for example, instead of like placing a chunk of the infill metal on top of the uh, having a contact with the powder, you can have a like for for example zinc. You can take a piece of zinc and put it near, and bake it. And you have to close the crucible in okay in some cases. So you close the crucible. Zinc starts to evaporate at about 850 degrees. It evaporates quite fast. Okay. So it evaporates and the vapor is like everywhere in the crucible. And uh, whenever the, the vapor of zinc touches copper, copper uh, kind of like absorbs it. Okay. And uh, it becomes uh, a solid object. Actually, uh, do you want me to bring one? Uh, yeah, that would be great if you have one sitting around. So this is the latest. Okay. Uh, print. That looks really good uh, for, for anyone that's just uh, listening and doesn't have the video in front of them. Um, Sergey's holding up uh, what looks like a bronze uh, chess piece. It's got some really cool spirals on the outside. Um, and it looks really clean from what I was imagining as you're describing the process. Yeah. On the sides, whatever you see on the sides, it's a virgin pro, uh, surface, untouched. Okay. Uh, on the top here, I polished it. Okay. People were asking me, like, how does it look like? It doesn't look like metal. And right. I do this. <laughs> if I do this. Yeah. You can hear that it uh, rings. But in the video, I didn't do it. So people are like, oh, what is it? Is it metal? <laughs> so, but if you polish it, uh, not sure how you see it. Yeah, so uh, you, you I can see, see it's, it's a it's a it's a shiny almost not like a mirror finish by any means, but it's a shiny reflective surface that's been polished yeah. on the bottom of the the chess piece. Yeah. Um, if someone is listening and they aren't familiar with how the body of the chess piece looks, it looks just like a cast metal part. Like if you had a sand casting or uh, maybe a die cast part, looks really similar. Actually, it would be very hard to cast this shape. Okay. Maybe like close to impossible because this geometry is like uh, almost uncastable. Well, if you can, it would be very hard. Yeah, with the spirals that it has, it has uh, a shape that even if you did cast it, you'd have to do a lot of digging to get out kind of yeah. the investment material. And actually, I have an object that's practically uncastable. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if I can find it. Uh, maybe I can. If you do, you want me to dig and find it? Um, let's keep talking for okay. now. Okay. So the other one has a spiral. It has a spiral, spiral hole. Yes. You cannot cast it. 
Right. I don't think so. Maybe someone can. I don't think so. <laughs> if someone's watching and they are a casting yeah. expert, uh, please uh, let us know whether or not the, yes. the chess piece that we were just showing on screen is castable. Because to my knowledge, too, it's not. It's not possible. Chess piece might be castable. Uh, it's yeah. It, it might be castable, uh, but uh, in the missing question, but the uh, the piece with the um, spiral hole. I think this one wouldn't be, but I would like to hear what people say. Definitely, definitely. Um, so what's interesting to me about your process is that the metal isn't centered, which is much different from a lot of, if not every other metal 3D printing process. What's what's going on there? Yes. So um, there are several ways to do it. The first method I thought about would be in filling with the, with the liquid metal. Okay. And it, I think it's, well, pretty much the best method because, because you have no sintering and there will be no shape distortion and no uh, shrinkage. Right. Because the metal powder, it doesn't melt. It always stays solid. Okay. So it holds the shape. There is some very small distortion due to the thermal expansion. Okay. Uh, when things expand, uh, they like and expand unevenly, so you have some small distortion, but generally it's very small. It's like much smaller than what you have with sintering. Okay. So that's the advantage of this method. You preserve the shape. You don't need to correct it in the software to account for shrinkage because the shrinkage is also non-uniform. So whenever you have shrinkage, you have distortion. So right. this method does not have this problem. I think this is one of the main advantages. But you still can use shrinkage. Uh, you can still use uh, sintering, and you'll have shrinkage with the SPD process. Okay. Uh, for example, I printed a glass. I can also bring and show it. <laughs> uh, there, you don't infill anything. You just take glass powder. Okay. As a build powder, you can you take sand as the support powder, and you sinter it. And for artistic figures, it's fine. Well, it gets a little bit smaller and a little bit distortion, but you don't see it. Because on artistic figures, it doesn't really matter that much. Okay. So in the third one, I already mentioned before with a vapor infill. You can infill it with vapor. And you can play with the parameters. You can uh, uh, maybe uh, choose the parameters such that it would be porous, but you'll have like uh, no shape distortion. So I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't done an in-depth analysis of this method yet. So this is a fairly new method. Okay. Uh, so it might have some advantage, maybe like simplicity because you don't need to, um, you don't need to have a delay infill because well, delayed infill is another thing. Uh, for the sum uh, metals, okay. you would need to have delay infill. Well, I can go into details, but that will be maybe like too technical. It's on the info is on my website. So if you go to the ira3d.com and see the frequently asked questions, there's like lots of text about all the all the nuances. Okay. And if something is not there, not there, not in the frequently asked questions, you can always uh, send me an email. The email is also on the website. Awesome. Um, I think when you're looking at those advantages, just the shrinkage and warping that happens when you're trying to center a model would be valuable enough for a lot of different applications. When you look at the end part that you get, 
what's the accuracy that you're seeing? Well, uh, the accuracy that I have measured, I also have a video about it. Okay. It's pretty much uh, comparable to the size of the particle of the of the powder. Okay. So if your particle is like 200, uh, if like 100 microns, your uh, accuracy would be about uh, 200 microns, double that because you have it on each side. Right. Uh, with the bigger parts, I do expect to have some uh, distortion due to the uh, thermal expansion. Okay. Metal and uh, ceramic, uh, they usually have different uh, thermal expansion in the crucible. So you have some distortion, but it's fairly small. So I think it's one of the more accurate methods. Okay. Well, laser printers, they also pretty accurate with the metal. I'm not, you know what? I'm not sure. Uh, do they compensate for the for the size? Well, maybe not as much because if their part is cold, then uh, it probably works fine for them. But they have other problem because uh, metal melts and solidifies one pixel at a time. Yes. Have horrible warping. So the, the the internal stress and the part warping is pretty bad with the with the laser center. Right. Um, so in laser sintering systems, um, from what you're saying, um, it creates a lot of stress within the part because it's kind of sintering at a pinpoint. And that's different in your process because it's yes. melting all at once. Yes. So when they uh, uh, melt and it solidifies, it cools down. And when it cools down, it shrinks. So it pulls the other uh, parts next to it. So you end up with lots of, lots of microscopic cracks. So it's not just bad for the warping. That's why they have to add lots of support. Yes. To, to make the part not work, which you have to manually remove after that. Here, I didn't have to remove anything. So this is the piece uh, that I got out. Well, I polished a little bit, but I, I don't have to break any supports out. Right. You just you just pull it out of the sand, right? Yes. And uh, at least in theory, the parts should be 100% dense. Not right. with the vapor infill, but with a liquid infill. It should be 100% dense. With their process, it's not, because uh, it solidifies it cracks. There always would be microscopic cracks. Right. And if, if you just take it as is, it will not be very strong because of the cracks. There is a, There are ways they can improve it. They create this like hot isostatic pressure or something. They make it a little bit uh, more dense, but it's still kind of uh, complicated and it's still not 100% dense. But this can be 100% dense. If your materials are clean, if they don't have any like dirt or impurities that would generate some voids, mm -hmm. it should be 100% dense. Yeah. And it's simple. It is, it is very simple conceptually compared to, mm -hmm. um, you know, these machines that cost over a million dollars and they have mm -hmm. high powered lasers and fine optics and all of this stuff. Um, when you look from a time standpoint, um, once you've printed the part in the crucible, how long, if you just take um, iron and copper, for example, um, at least that's kind of the example that I saw most often online, how long does it take for the, the infill metal to create your part? Okay, so uh, the powder it takes uh, to deposit, well, depends on the uh, complexity of the part, several sure. hours. Okay. Some simple parts, maybe like a couple hours, complicated ones. Uh, those were fairly complicated because 
the Korach had to open and close many times. Yes. Uh, but uh, so it was like 17 hours for two rooks. Then we're not printed in the same run. Uh, this one was a very old experiment. Uh, parameters were on, so it's melted. This one okay. was the last one. So you need to bake it uh, just enough for the in metal to uh, for the infill metal to melt. Okay. If you can uh, put a lot of power and warm it up to the desired temperature instantaneously, well, it will be very fast. But I am using uh, clay crucibles, and clay crucibles you cannot heat them very fast. You have to heat them slowly. Otherwise, they crack. Okay. If you have a graphite crucible, yeah, you can probably hit it very fast. So, uh, again, there are so many options. Maybe uh, eventually you would be doing it like this. You would not be even like warming up the kiln or furnace. Maybe the furnace would be running all the time. So you take a crucible, put it in, close it, and like take it up uh, out of after like a couple minutes. Well, if your part is big, it might take longer to like warm up the whole part, but so there are many things to optimize. But in theory, you can do it pretty fast. Yeah, I uh, I love that answer for a lot of reasons. I think the biggest one is um, I can relate so much to your answer. Um, so much when people ask me questions about three D printing, they're like, "Oh, well, can you do this?" I'm like, "It depends. Um, you know, <laughs> it depends on your material, uh, your printing process, your overhangs, your tolerances. Uh, what's the end use?" goal for the part like there's always always variables there um and the crucible thing is something that i hadn't quite thought of but i can imagine how the crucible material and how that behaves affects heat up cool down times when you're making metal parts um yep. so lots of really cool nuances to uh to think about um when you are sourcing your metal powders i know that there's like a million different uh, quality standards of metal powders. Is there like, um, are you using MIM powder? Is it something finer or coarser than that? Coarser. So uh, there, there, is a, there is a big challenge okay. for the powders because um, most of the powders uh, that are manufactured today, they are for different printers. They're either for laser printers or for MIM. And in most cases, they're too fine. Okay. Uh, to smoke. And in case of meme powders, they're usually water atomized, which is not good. Okay. Because if you, let's say, the water atomized iron powder, it would be somewhat oxidized and right. it would contain lots of hydrogen because iron has high affinity to water, to oxygen, than hydrogen. So it would absorb lots of hydrogen and you end up with lots of bubbles in your part. Okay. So iron powder is like tricky to find. We have found a good copper powder. So now we have a good amount of uh, good copper powder. Okay. And we had a little bit of nickel powder, but it was fairly expensive and not quite as good. So powder is a tricky. Eventually, if like if this will be like more or less mainstream, well, there will be many manufacturers who manufacture the powder specifically for this. Right. And they will be uh, much better and cheaper. Right. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned iron and copper and nickel. Um, what materials have you worked with? So you also mentioned glass and ceramic. What materials have you worked with so far? And are some of them easier to work with than others? Yes. 
So I think the easiest to work with would be bronze. Okay. Copper and tin. Okay. Uh, the tricky thing about brass, like uh, this, is that zinc oxidizes a lot. Okay. So it's very hard to cut to print it with a traditional liquid and film metal. So I can go into details, but maybe for some other video. Uh, bronze, bronze is easy. Okay. Uh, relatively. Uh, so here is like a, a general problem. So far, we have been doing experiments mostly with carbon atmosphere. Okay. So you place a piece of coke or several pieces of coke powder in the crucible and close it. So okay. it's enclosed. Whenever and when you warm it up, uh, uh, carbon, coke is carbon, uh, carbon starts to oxidize and it produces carbon monoxide a carbon, and carbon dioxide. Okay. And, and the ratio of the carbon monoxide to carbon dioxide would be determined by the Boudouard reaction. So you have this uh, equilibrium, and this equilibrium changes with the temperature. Okay. But the problem is that uh, this reaction goes, goes both ways all the time. So you convert between uh, carbon and carbon dioxide to monoxide and the, uh, and the other way around. So what's happening, uh, you're taking carbon, solid carbon, uh, making into gas, and then back into carbon. The problem is when you uh, convert it back to like solid state, it converts back to carbon, it precipitates as a soot. Okay. Not necessarily in the same place where it, uh, uh, Evaporated, not evaporated, but uh, when, uh, in the same place where it's uh, uh, originated. Sure. So the longer you bake, the more soot you'll have on your powder. Okay. So if you warm it up uh, very, very fast, then it will be probably okay. But if you like take your time and do it slow, then you'd have some good amount of carbon and your part would contain lots of carbon. Gotcha. And if you contain like way too much carbon, it might not even infill because graphite would not be wettable by the molten metal. Right. And with the stainless steel crucibles, they expand. Okay. So you get the, you get distortions. So I had some videos when you like measure some distortions. Uh, clay doesn't expand that much, but you cannot warm it up too quickly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Carbon is easy, but it's uh, tricky uh, to get a high quality part. You can get an okay quality part, but if you want to get a like space quality part, it's tricky. And right now we are aiming for the space quality parts. Okay. So if you want to get really high quality uh, parts, it's better to use hydrogen instead of carbon. Okay. Because uh, hydrogen doesn't have this Boudouard reaction when it transfers to solid and uh, Gaseous, it's always gaseous. Right. So it does not uh, doesn't mess up the chemistry of the part. Okay. You might get some uh, hydrogen absorbed into your print, but it's fairly easy to get it out. I think if you like on the way down, when you cool down the part, you like wait for a couple hours at something like 300 degrees. Okay. Hydrogen 
gets out. You can read about hydrogen embrittlement. So basically, hydrogen is a much better uh, in theory. In practice, it's uh, harder to get a hydrogen furnace than a regular kiln. Gotcha. So we've got recently a hydrogen furnace, but we have not tried it yet. Okay. Uh, one of the concerns is the safety. If you try to buy a hydrogen furnace, it's insanely expensive. Okay. And the reason it's insanely expensive is that the regulations are very strict. Okay. I have read the regulations about uh, how to like run a hydrogen furnace, uh, how to like what it should be like. And it looks like it was written with one purpose, to forbid any use of hydrogen furnaces in the United States. Gotcha. Okay. I don't think I don't think you need that, that many layers of security. <laughs> you can like maybe what like what I'll do, like I would not have any of those. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they will not come. I hope the guy will not come. <laughs> I'll uh, run it in a place in a in a where it's if it explodes, it's okay. So I will be away from it. <laughs> there you go. But there are other ways around it. You don't need to run it with a hundred uh, percent hydrogen. Okay. You can have something like 3% uh, hydrogen and 97% argon. Okay. In which case, it would be not even uh, like, it would be below the lower um, ignition uh, limit. Uh, right. Ignition limit. So, uh, and maybe we can figure out how to like make a furnace secure enough uh, to run it so it wouldn't explode. I'm not sure if it would like pass the uh, American security standards, but if American standards are so strict, we can do it in another country. That's true. That's true. Um, so much of what you're saying is resonating with me. Um, I have a, a light chemical engineering background. I switched partway through to mechanical and uh, have been much happier with it. Um, mm -hmm. But there's a part of me that still loves all of that nuance of reactions and how it works with the metals. It's, it's really cool. Um, yep. taking a step back from some of the more technical elements, um, is this a, a solo project for you? Do you have no. a set of team members? What is, uh, what does the company look like? Yeah, there are several people, uh, with whom I'm working on. Okay. Uh, recently we have formed a new company. Okay. It's called Atom Well. Link is on the website. Okay. So the idea for Atom Well is first to sell consumables. We already sell copper powder. Okay. So we bought like a ton of it because they didn't sell in smaller quantities. Like we asked them like, hey, can you send a little bit? Said, like, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> but so we had to buy a ton and well, I didn't do it personally. Other people did it. So they filtered it to the right size and packaged it. So now you can buy it from the website. Okay. Uh, the other idea of Atomwell is to provide a 3D printing service. Okay. Once we figure out uh, all the metallurgy, actually there are several, you asked me about metals and I kind of like didn't answer it. <laughs> uh, so there are several metals that look very promising. Okay. Aluminum bronze and nickel aluminum bronze, uh, titanium aluminite, maybe uh, nickel aluminite. So the, uh, on Wikipedia, it says it's like three or five times stronger than stainless steel. Okay. 
That sounds very one promising. The, yeah. Uh, one of the disadvantages of this metal, it's very hard to uh, process. Okay. So if you want to like machine something out of this metal, it would be pretty hard. Yeah. But we don't care. We can we can 3D print it. We don't need to machine it that much. Maybe you can just polish some service, uh, but that's about it. Or like you can add a thread, something. So, um, yeah, there are many, many there are many metals uh, uh, you can uh, look into. I looked probably at more than ten. Okay. Well, I looked more like probably close to like fifty, but ten look, <laughs> look better than others. So, what was the question that I went back for to metals from? No, um, actually, I really appreciate you um, remembering to go more in depth with uh with the last question i should have noticed that too um but regardless um what is what does the team look like today yeah. okay so um there are several people i i would i can talk about myself i don't uh, feel quite comfortable talking about them because i don't know how much they would want to share sure from their personal life <laughs> so uh oh i started talking about uh the the company that i'm well so yeah uh, one of the ideas is to provide a 3D printing service. Another idea is to make a franchise. So like you okay. can buy a printer and uh, tell us, hey, I want to be a franchisee. And we're, we're going to make a website where users would be able to come and upload their models. And the web website uh, would tell them like how much it would cost. Or maybe it would get uh, several quotes from different uh, customers. Okay. Not customers, franchisees. So yeah. like someone is in America, he'll charge that much. Someone is in India, he'll charge that much. So there will be like a market. So the idea is to be like a platform. Okay. And sometimes like if you live in another country, you might choose some uh, some franchisee that's, that's close to you. Mm -hmm. I really like that idea. And I think a couple companies have done something similar. There's mm -hmm. just, there's not a lot of options for printed metal especially printed metal services where someone might not want to deal with the powder handling and the sintering or the kiln firing and all that yeah actually when you talk about the powders uh, traditional uh powders i saw the, the powders for the laser printers you have to like be in a mask yeah because the particles are so small they get uh, they get airborne very easily so you can okay. breathe them and that's not good our particles are big so they don't get airborne like i'll give you an example uh if you like go to a desert you'd have a sand right so we use sand from the desert and we remove the small particles okay so our sand is less the airborne than the sand in the desert gotcha so it's pretty safe that's no that's that's another huge advantage that I guess I was assuming you would still need all of the safety nope. requirements just because nope. it's a powdered metal. Um, nope. But that makes it so much more, I'm going to say, uh, shop friendly or garage friendly yes. uh, when you don't have to worry about um, inhaling the metal powders. Yep. Um, so that's definitely something that um, if anyone's watching or listening, they, they should take as a, a huge benefit um, not having to invest in all of the, the safety environment. Um, I know we're coming up towards the end of our time, so I like to end with some higher level questions. Um, when you personally look at the world of 3D printing and kind of your journey with it since 2015, what's one thing that you don't like about it? Mm -hmm. Okay, actually, let me make one correction. 
the idea that I had uh, for this process was in 2016. That's okay. when I formed the company. Uh, what I don't like about 3D printing, that's, that's a little bit of a strange question. There is nothing I don't like about the 3D printing per se. There are, but there are some uh, uh, advantages and there are some disadvantages. Okay. So if you see some disadvantage, that's an opportunity. Gotcha. I uh I really like that answer actually. Um, and the question is meant to be intentionally vague, so it's it's meant to kind of like make you think. And I've gotten answers all over the board, so there's no wrong answer there. Um, a similar kind of vague question is outside of your technology, your products. What's one thing that you're excited about and that you want to see more of? So this could be a particular trend, a particular technology, or just something that, like I said, you want to see more of. Uh, that's, a, that's a tricky question. Uh, I do like how much the plastic printers have improved. Okay. Like the 3D printer I bought uh, like a year ago is much better than the one I bought in 2014. Okay. Uh, so I do like the trend that it's uh, uh, like it's all developing. So it's a new technology. It's developing. There are many companies. Some of them see me as competitor, and then they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to share. I am I'm okay. So if uh, like company that has another process wants to talk to me. I can tell about everything about like I know about this process. I don't like try to keep it secret. Uh, I am trying to make it affordable. So right now the printer is fairly expensive because it takes me a long time to make one. Okay. But fundamentally, uh, it's cheaper than well, it can be cheaper than the plastic one because plastic one has this like tricky uh, hot plastic extruder. Uh, this one fundamentally might be even simpler. You don't need to have any hot parts. So maybe in some time in the future, this printer would be about as cheap as the plastic ones. That's so hard for me to wrap my head around, but I can see it. You're right. Like the, the function of the printer is fundamentally simpler than what a lot of us are using at our desks now. So in theory, we could, we could get there. Um, thank you so much for joining us i'm sorry did you have any closing thoughts yes uh, uh just one like thought maybe sideways a little bit when they started with the plastic printers uh first like diy printers have a problem to find the filament nobody yes. was making the filament only the the companies that was that were making the filament were very expensive mm -hmm. so now we have the similar situation with the powders but eventually i think it will build cheap that's so that's so true um Initially, people were using welding rod, and then now mm -hmm. you can buy filament on Amazon. And yeah. nowadays, if you want to go buy metal powder, um, it's really, really hard. <laughs> um, where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing? Or if there's any specific actions you'd like them to take, now's, a, now's your opportunity. Okay, so I'm very easy to reach. So uh, I re reply to most of the emails, even some that are like not very, not very good. <laughs> uh, the email is on the website. Okay. I am looking for collaborators. So if you do like, if you want to do a collaboration on the research, you're very welcome. I'm like, 
I'm really open. So yeah, please, please reach out. Awesome. Um, audience, I hope you will take him up on that offer to collaborate and help take 3D printing to the next level. I will make sure to link to all of the things that have been mentioned in this episode in the descriptions. Um, and as always, you can find video and audio versions of all the episodes on 3dprintsauthority.com. Sergey, thank you so much for joining me. Look forward to connecting in the future. Hey, you wonderful human. I know I said it already, but thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I have a lot of fun making it, and I appreciate that other people might enjoy listening. If you did enjoy this episode, it would make my day if you took just eight seconds to tap the like button and or subscribe to 3D Print Authority. That way you don't miss new episodes when they come out every single week. Happy printing.